I draw your attention to the passage that I read to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the opening four verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, the last time I stood here on a Sunday night, I preached to you on the theme, What is a Christian? And tonight I want to preach on the theme, What is Christianity? What is Christianity all about? What is the true gospel? There's great confusion in the church. Ten media church personalities would answer it in ten different ways. And if the church is confused, then the man in the street will also be perplexed. There's a story of um, a Protestant church that uh, burned down and uh, the local Jewish community got in touch with them and said to them, oh, we're so sorry that this has happened. Uh, We'd like to help you. Um, Would you like to use our building on Sundays? We don't use it on Sundays. And they were thrilled to have a place to go to. And they thanked the rabbi most warmly. They said, oh, that's very Christian of you. And the rabbi said, well, we thought it was rather Jewish of us to to do it. So that Protestant preacher then was, uh, like so many people, thinking that a Christian is simply a very nice person, a kind person. And that every kind and nice person then is a Christian. Well, how would you answer the question, what is Christianity? Well, you need to answer it by going back to the origins, the the fountainhead of this stream that's run now for 2,000 years and has washed ashore here in Aberystwyth for hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, to go back to a letter that was written about the year 52, just... uh, less than 30 years after Jesus Christ came into this world. And uh, to hear and think about these words that uh, I've just uh, read to you twice this evening. Here is uh, an apostle's definition of the essence of Christianity, a a person who then uh, had authority from Jesus Christ to speak up and write on his behalf. And here is some good news, which these uh, first Christians at the beginning received. And here is a message that changed them, that strengthened them, that gave them courage to take their stand in uh, a huge cosmopolitan seaport with a lot of darkness and trouble, like Corinth. And... uh, Here is something that could be checked and validated. The message wasn't just uh, Paul's own feelings and ideas, but uh, it was something that could be checked from the 39 books of the Old Testament. The scriptures. Scripture is something that's written. It's on a script. Um, How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that's the essence then. That's of primary, of first importance, Paul says, that he gave to them. Verse 3. So um, here is how we are to understand the Christian faith. And so the first thing we want to say to you tonight is that Christianity is a person. Um, Let me clear away some of the rubble and the confusion that uh, muddles people about what Christianity is all about. Um, It's not a set of rules. It's got some 
important rules, but it's not about a, a rule book that we give you, and if you can tick all the boxes in the rule book, you can join us. It's not like that uh, at all. Um, when Jimmy went to school on the first day, they asked him his name. Uh, Jimmy, he said, second name, don't, he said. Um, because uh, he had so often heard that at home, Jimmy don't, Jimmy don't. And many feel that Christianity is, uh, is a, 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 a list of negatives. When I say to the students, why, why don't more than the hundred who gather out of the 10,000 students, uh, 0.1% comes and gathers um, on a Friday night. Why don't met more come? Well, they think that we are bringing a moral code to them. We're saying, uh, don't drink, don't take drugs, uh, don't have sex, and so on. Don't be a racist, and so on. And uh, they think that that's what Christianity is all about. Now, it's an effective way of uh, evaluating the sermons that you hear when you attend church and when you listen to a preacher. Does he tell you what you should be doing? Does he exhort you about morality in your life? Does he concentrate on man and uh, the activities of man? The, the good news about Jesus Christ, in fact, is not believe on him or repent of your sins or you must be born again. Where is there news in any of those exhortations, especially Good news. Uh, true Christianity tells us what God has done, what our Creator has done when He looks at the confusion and the muddle that so many lives are in. And Christianity is generally stated in the past tense, in the past accomplishments of what. God has done and what he has continued to do in the world up until this moment. For example, John chapter 3 and verse 16 is the uh, most famous verse in all the New Testament. God so loved, past tense, God so loved the world that he gave, past tense, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It looks back to a great act of Almighty God in sending his Son into the world. So, um, Christianity is not a set of rules that we thunder out, although there are wonderful, wise rules that are kept by those whose lives have been changed by God's gift of his Son to them. And then secondly, uh, Christianity is not a series of ceremonies uh, sacramental religion is uh, a series of ceremonies and people dress up uh, accordingly and they put robes on and look religious and they go through motions and there's uh, incense and there bells are rung and uh, there's music and baptism and a bishop's hands on your head and the Eucharist and, and singing together. But, you know, you can go through ceremonies and some of you did for many, many years. And you can sing hymns until your throat is dry and still not understand what Christianity is all about. You can uh, do that and not understand at all what it's about. Thirdly, Christianity is not, I'm clearing away the rubble now, Christianity is not certain feelings that you have. But you get a sort of peace if you come into uh, a church on a Sunday night and you are surrounded by old friends and uh, it makes you feel good and it makes you smile and it underlines then self-acceptance and self-integratedness and that you feel at peace. Now I know if you hear of the message of why the Lord Jesus came into the world and what he's done, you're, you're going to change. You're going to feel different then. 
as you think of death and as you think of meeting God, you, you know, there are going to be new feelings. But Christianity itself is, is not a feeling. Again, Christianity is not joining a group. No matter what the group might be, it may be the richest group. It might be the, the most beautiful group, the most talented. It might have all the, the, the PhDs you could hope for. It might have really famous people in the group. But joining them uh, won't make you a Christian. Christianity is far more than becoming a member of an organization. Fifthly, Christianity is not a cause. And there are all sorts of causes, aren't there? Causes to get the government more involved in certain things or to get the government off our backs, to make a justice society, to handle international problems of great perplexity. But no matter how important the cause may be and your own personal concerns, then Christianity is uh, not supporting some uh, social cause. Right, I've cleared away uh, that uh, confusion. And now I want to say that Christianity is nothing more nor less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's good news about him. As our text says, how he died for our sins. And he rose from the dead. He, he's greater than death, the death that lies before um, all of us. And of course, there would be many people who would applaud that. And they would say then some muddling words. They would say, of course, that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's not about doctrines. It's not about um, catechisms. and It's not about a confession of faith and so on. Well, now, let me hurry to say that uh, you must understand I, I'm not talking about any Jesus, about any Jesus Christ. When I say Christianity is a person, I, I'm talking of a very specific person, not a projection of my best self, not just an image of what I'd like to be or what I foolishly think of myself as being. I'm talking about a person who was born on, uh, with a line of latitude crossed, a line of longitude in a village called Bethlehem and in a stable in that place about 2,000 and more years ago. A Christ of history, a Christ of, of geography. That Christianity is a religion in which the first members of it who became Christians were eyewitnesses to some extraordinary things that happened in this world. And then they wrote them down. They wrote them down in four Gospels and in letters that they wrote. And tonight, as I read to you this 15th chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians, you, you will hear there of the ways in which the risen Jesus met men and, and women and spoke to them, and, and their lives were changed permanently, and the world was changed because of that event. They, they were ordinary people. They weren't people with halos around their head and their faces just lit up and so on. And they walked a bit like spiritual zombies. They weren't like that at all. They were the sort of people that in Swansea Crown Court uh, tomorrow or in uh, the High Court in, in London will stand in a witness box and be interrogated by barristers as to what they saw and what they heard and what they did. Ordinary women and men like that, reliable people. This is what we saw. And they, are you sure now? What did you hear? And so on. And these ordinary people, a tax collector like Matthew, a fisherman like uh, Peter, they will tell us about Jesus Christ. They will tell us he, he was different in his birth, that he was born of a, a young woman who was a virgin. She had not known a man. And she conceived then in 
as the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed her. And that uh, this man lived a sinless life. They saw him under all sorts of pressure. They shared um, rooms with him and they ate and drank with him. And he had to get up early to get away from them because they dogged his footsteps so intimately and watched everything that he said and listened to everything he would invite them to. They found him sinless. They never caught him off guard. They never saw him when he was provoked, and he was often provoked, retaliating harshly and bitterly and cursing under his breath. He was never like that. They saw how pure he was when he dealt with women who just loved him and with children who were brought into his presence. There was a a, a purity and a kindness and a patience, a beauty of life that characterized him always. They saw and heard his teaching and it bowled them over. Because they knew about his background and that for 30 years he'd been living in an obscure village. And now he comes. He never went to a university or to a rabbinic school. And yet he had the, the most profound views of uh, our origin and the meaning of life and our destinies. They tell us that he was crucified and that he was crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And that on the third day, he rose from the dead. They saw him for 40 days. They watched him. They listened to him. They walked with him. He cooked bread and fish for them and fed them by the Sea of Galilee early morning. They touched him. He wasn't a ghost. He spoke with them. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. He went up a little way, and a cloud hid him from sight, and he was gone. And messengers from God said, well, um, this Jesus who ascended is is going to come again in, in the same manner. Don't stay here now. You've got a message to take to the world. He's coming again. He said, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you will be also. So, um, Christianity is about what happened in, on this planet in terms of cosmic time, not long ago. Events in 24-hour days in calendar time, a real virgin conceived, and when her full time came, the baby boy was born. And in another literal 24-hour day, outside the city walls of of Jerusalem then laid him out on a cross of wood and drove home nails through his hands and feet and lifted him and dropped the cross in a socket and there he hung on the cross until he was dead officially dead until rigor mortis had set in and they pulled the nails out and wrapped him in in a shroud and with perfumes and frankincense and they laid him in a stone cut out of a rock a stone covered the place where he lay and three days later he rose from the dead the grave couldn't keep him Jesus my saviour The chains of death were snapped like cotton by him. He he came forth and uh, soon he was walking with people and eating with people and talking 
with them. And he ascended after those 40 days. They were literal days. If there'd been a video camera, it would have shown him there. There wouldn't have been invisibility where he was. Light would have struck him and recorded him. A tape recorder would have taped him. I'm saying to you this, what I'm talking about didn't occur in Narnia. This story of the gospel is not a toy story. It's not just a, a wonderful fairy tale. The water on Galilee, uh, went, which he spoke to when it was foaming within a great storm, it calmed. He walked on the water. The demons that were cast out of a, a, a wretchedly demon-bound man in Gadara. They entered into real pigs who flung themselves into the sea and were drowned. It's not that the miracles teach us um, moral lessons like Aesop's fables, like uh, really the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is about um, being kind to your neighbor, sharing your picnic with those that have not brought a picnic Many other things did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. And these things were recorded, John says, in his gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing you might have life. Life in, in its holy, complete uh, dimensions in, includes a life with God, a knowledge of God, of uh, the purpose that God has defined for our existence. So Christianity is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. There are really um, three words that depict what Christianity is all about. Three words, cradle, cross, and crown. Um, a cra- he was born. Born of a virgin, but born. He came through the birth canal um, into this world and, and cried his first, and breathed his first breath. He died on a cross. There came a time when he ended his life in this world. And then he ascended to heaven and he has living authority and power now over the world. And so there are Christians in every corner every continent some very fearfully meeting behind locked doors but there bearing witness as God helps them and because the Lord Jesus has them and he cares for them and he loves them and he guides them he's no longer then a babe and he's no longer um, a, a pathetic uh, dying man stiff and in agony on, on the cross like a carcass Hanging up there, but he uh, he's crowned with glory and power, and he's arranged for me to speak about him, this message to you tonight. And he's brought you some have have come far, and you're here tonight because of God's love for you, that He wants you to understand Christianity, and that to understand it, you must understand who Jesus Christ is. Now that's the first thing that Christianity is a person. That's my long first point. And then secondly, Christianity is an interpretation of these facts about this person. Why was he born of a virgin? Why did he live a sinless life? Why did he suffer the death of the cross? Why was his resurrection essential? And if you summarize the Bible, you can think of it as a three-act play. The first act, it goes from Genesis to Malachi, that is, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And the theme of that first act is, Behold, look, listen, somebody's coming. That's what it says. And the first actor who speaks, then, is uh, God who says in uh, Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman is going to come. Uh, 
Mary's descendant is going to come. And he's going to crush the serpent's head. The serpent is Satan. He's our enemy. He's the God of this world. He's the God behind the horrors that we've watched and heard about in the world this year. So that's the first act. He's coming. And the second act then is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. What we call the Gospels. Three synoptic because they uh, synthesize with one another. And then John's Gospel. Which is... uh, Different in its tone, but not in its message. And the message of these four Gospels is, someone's here, he's here. And the first actor to speak there is John the Baptist, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So he's come, and that's why he's come. And then the third act is Acts and Romans and Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and so on, to the book of Revelation. And the theme of these books of the Bible is someone is coming again. Someone's going to conclude what he began to do when he came into this groaning world. And uh, the person I can choose to represent that section of the Word of God is an angel who says, uh, on the hill of ascension, this same Jesus that you've seen ascend into heaven, he's going to come again. He will return. And so I'm saying to you, aren't I, that the whole of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament um, to Revelation, they, they all talk about Jesus Christ. In all the scriptures, you're going to find him. It's the story of the Lord Jesus. And it's an explanation of who he was and what he did. And so Paul says, when I came to you, of first importance, what I gave to you is Christ. And then he says, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Why did he do this? For our sins. We deserve eternal death because we're sinners. But Jesus Christ, because he loved us, died died for us. He took our guilt and our shame and our blame. Because without the shedding of blood of a great lamb like this, who, because he's God the Son, has infinite and eternal potency, there's no forgiveness. Because that's how God is. And he did it for our sins. And Paul says, our. And you think, oh well, um, Paul, you were a persecutor. And uh, you needed someone to forgive you your sins. Or you could say, Paul then just uh, wants to identify with some of the wretched people in Corinth who had really walked the waterfront and had just wasted their lives in in vulgarity and despairing self-satisfaction and greed. Paul says, I'm with you. I'm a sinner too. And, and forgiveness and mercy has come to me through Jesus Christ. And it has come to you. Our sins, he says. So that's what these verses are all about, aren't they? So... The Bible is the interpretation of these facts of Jesus Christ. And the Bible interprets always in words. All right? Um, it, it is, in other words, an appeal to the mind, first of all. I'm speaking to you rationally. I'm appealing to your thought processes, to your thinking, to your intellect. And I'm I'm trying to be as lucid and clear and um, an advocate of Jesus Christ as being then the the reason for life for you and meaning for you and hope for you for the future and in death. And I'm saying the message is always in words. Um, It's not by the braille of goose pimples 
But you went and heard an orator, and he made your hair stand on end. Or, and you had goose flesh, and you interpreted that in, in, in a certain way. It's not by out-of-body experiences, but it's um, a, a message that firstly applies to our mind. Oh, later it's going to apply to our affections, too. And to our conscience, too. But the Bible gives us full implications of what um, Christianity is all about. The, uh, the ramifications, the implications of it. In other words, it says, and if you're a father, being a Christian means that you live like this. And if you're a mother, being a Christian means you live like this. And if you're a boy or girl, in your home, you have to live in, in, in this way. If you're a workman, if you're a boss, if you're a neighbor... If you have enemies, if there is a congregation then that you find, a gospel congregation, then you are to live like this. And it describes the repercussions for you of seeing that Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing I want to say, I'm going faster now, you see, I wasn't uh, just being cheesy when I said that the first point was long. It was long. Second point was very short. Third thing I want to say to you is that Christianity is an experience. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is an interpretation of who Christ is and why he came and what he did and what he said. Christianity is experience. It's not enough for you to know that these facts are true, though they are true. And that's foundational. But Christianity is an interpretation of these facts. And that comes when you receive this Lord, this Savior, when you receive him into, into your life. The, the facts have implications when you make them the things that you believe. And they're non-negotiable. You live by them. So, um, becoming a Christian is not simply then um, an acceptance of formulas of catechetical, catechetical instruction and knowing the right answers. Who made me? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make all things? For his own glory. Where do I learn about God? In the Bible and so on. The child's catechism. And you can know more than those first four questions and answers, you can learn the lot. That doesn't make you a Christian because you have to receive into your life this Jesus Christ to be a, a Christian. John puts it like this, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, to those who believe on his name. It's like marriage, isn't it? Marriage isn't receiving uh, a set of facts about a person. But it's about receiving that person. And, and they become one flesh with you. Your wife, your husband. So when we receive Christianity as, as our religion, it, there's only one way we can do it, and that's by bringing him in, opening our hearts and lives, entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ so that we are joined to him. Paul says, I live, yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me. That's the radical cleavage that's taken place in his life from what he was without Christ to now having Christ in his life. Philippian jailer was told, believe in, into the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would be saved. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And, and then you receive everything that God has, has given you. You see, God has compressed everything that you most need in life. God has compressed them most important things for you to believe. He's compressed them all into Jesus Christ. 
he's got a, a heavy atom, a dense atom, and all of divinity is in it, and all of creating power, and all of grace and redemption is all in Jesus Christ. And if you have him, you, you have forgiveness of sins, a purpose in life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. You have the package. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, they, they're all in this. And if you have Jesus Christ, then you, you have everything if you have him. But if you don't have him, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you lose out on, on everything. Forgiveness is, is found in him. Neither is there forgiveness in any other, for there is none other name under heaven whereby we can be forgiven for our sins except the name of Jesus Pardon and mercy. Reconciliation with God. You must have him. Come unto me, Jesus says. Come to me and I will give you rest. So it's not enough to have the facts. You've got to have the facts. I'm telling you who Jesus was. You've got to have the facts. Uh, Jesus isn't just a swear word. The children shout out. Women will even Shout out, Christ, they'll say, or God, they'll say. You, you, you want to know who this Christ is, who this Jesus is. And it's not enough even to have the right explanation of the facts. But uh, you must receive him. Uh, it's not enough to do the book and seen the videos, and done the course, and filled in the book, and got all your answers right. It's not enough. You have to receive Jesus Christ into your life. The facts about Jesus Christ that I'm telling you about are like signposts. And uh, we had a, a lovely man and his wife from, and children from South Africa studying librarianship here, and they Oh, they'd left South Africa, which they loved, and they got to uh, Heathrow, and they hired a car, and they drove to Aberystwyth. It was a long, long way, few motorways in those days. And they came on, and they, there was no satellite navigation system in those days. They were looking at their map, and they were hoping they'd come the wrong way, the right way. And they came then to Bilth Wells. And they came around the roundabout there and they took the road and there was the, a signpost that said Aberystwyth, 38 miles. Oh, they were so glad. They'd come all the way from South Africa and now there was just 38 miles. They didn't stop the car and got out and said, oh, we have arrived. Because this was a signpost and it was saying, keep going, keep going. And the miracles in the gospel are signs, John says, that point to him. So he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead and the widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter and he rises from the dead. It points to the truth. The miracles point to Jesus as more powerful than death. And when he feeds 5,000 men, he says to them, I am the bread of life. He that feeds on me will never hunger. And if you drink of me, he'll, you'll never thirst. And he is telling us here, then, in, in the Gospels about himself. The miracles point to him. There's no life unless you take your eyes from events and stories and facts about Jesus Christ... And you come to this living Christ. And you know, he's not far. He's, he's with us tonight. And uh, he's here to listen to us. And to answer us and, and bless us. I've come that they might have life. That's why he's come here tonight. That you might have life. Um, life, not just biological life now, or intellectual life. The abundance of, of life in God, 
Life with God. Fourthly, Christianity is about receiving the one who is presented to us in the Bible. Now, they presented him to their hearers in the Acts of the Apostles and in the letters. The people who knew him and had been with him, they presented Jesus to hearers, like I'm presenting him to you tonight, in two ways. Firstly, they never presented him as the Savior without referring to him also as the Lord. They never bifurcated the offices of Jesus Christ. They, they brought, they offered all the benefits of forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting and the glories of heaven. But they also insisted, but you know, he's got to be your Lord. Has to be. Your master. Someone you look to and, and obey day by day. And then, secondly, they never appealed to people's wills alone to decide without first explaining who Jesus was. So when Philip met an Ethiopian high um, commissioner, treasurer, going back to Ethiopia, he explained to him a passage from the Bible, like I'm explaining a passage from the Bible to you tonight. So Christianity never speaks to the will and says, now tonight I want you to come to a decision. It, it speaks to the whole man. It speaks to you um, with the past that you've had and the problems you are now facing and the choices that lie before you in the future. It uh, speaks to your body, what you'll do with your hands and uh, with your fingers and with your eyes and with your ears. And it speaks to your affections, things that you're going to be zealous about and have fun about and laugh about. All that is going to be changed. Um, your mind is going to be illuminated because such wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. And your affections are going to be raised. And you're going to love new things. And, and your body, you're going to despise those that can't control their drinking. And want to inject drugs into their veins. And, uh, and do abominable things with their bodies. And your will is going to be liberated it says no to certain things from now on, and it says yes to Jesus Christ. And you can't choose. I'm afraid you can't choose. You can't say, well, I'll have the forgiveness, but I don't like the lordship. The two go together. You, you can't say, well, I, I don't mind the benefits of the sacrifice of Christ, but just to have him as my example day by day. I, d I don't want that. You can't say I love the old rugged cross of Jesus but I don't like what Jesus says about judgment and condemnation and hell. I I I'm afraid that he requires complete obedience because he's smarter than us. He's wiser than us. He's lived longer. He's full of grace and truth. And we've been messed up by the society in which we live and the influences that have been brought to bear upon us. Here's this person, this teacher, this shepherding king who's going to work everything for our good. Here's the Lamb of God who's going to take away our sins. You can't choose one or two of those options. But 
All three uh, are required. For example, I, I take weddings here. I stand there and the, the, the groom, so full of anticipation, and his best man are there. And finally the father walks down here and uh, gives his bride away. I say, who gives this woman to be married? I do, he says. And so they stand here and they exchange vows. All right? They exchange vows. Do you take this man, I say, to the bride? Do you take this man? She doesn't say to me, I take his credit cards. Doesn't say that. She doesn't say, but I know I'm going to wash his clothes and his socks and bear his children. All right, I say. Oh, that's interesting. I now pronounce you man and wife. Because her laying down of certain terms like that is a mockery of what marriage is all about. And so if I say, here's Jesus Christ, and he's willing to be your Lord and Savior, and you say to me, well, I take the benefits that he has, so I'm okay with God, but I'm not taking his lordship over me in how I live day by day. If you receive him and his forgiveness, then the responsibility of being an obedient Christian of the cup that he gives you every day. And he put the mix of sadness and joy in it. and It's your duty to drink it all. God won't come by his Holy Spirit and join you to his son, Jesus Christ, if you have no intention of serving his son and loving his son and doing what his son requires. Let all the house of Israel know, Peter says at Pentecost, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. At his birth, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the apostles, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As many as receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave the right to be called the children of God. So, let me get a little more personal now. God has a controversy with you. You've lived 20, 50, 70 years in this world. And uh, you've not received the rightful claims of Christ to be your Lord and your God. And you've not served him. And God has a controversy with you about this. The problem is not that you won't believe certain things about him, but that you won't bow before him. You won't submit to him question is not that you, you disbelieve certain things about his, his birth and that he has two natures, divine and human. Or that he, he didn't rise the third day and you have intellectual doubts about that. That isn't the main problem. The main problem is submission. A life of service. And you've served yourself until now. The Bible says one thing is essential. You've got to come to Jesus Christ. The whole of you. Your mind, your will, your body. You must come to the one who's seated at the right hand of God. He's almighty God. People bow before him. And you receive him. You open up every part of your life, every room. You take him there, into them all. We are all headed for an open-ended experience of him. All men are going to receive their destinies from him. He's 
the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and certainly he's our Lord and King, in the fact that he's kept us alive until tonight and brought this message to us tonight. You know this imaginary funny scene I portrayed of the girl who says, I'll take his credit cards, but I won't take him. Imagine if the wedding comes to an end and the reception is over and they've changed now into their going away clothes. And she goes across to her bridegroom and she says, well, it's been a lovely day. I've enjoyed it so much. Um, We must get together again sometime. Call me. I don't think I'm free next week, but I think next month I'll be free. Give me a ring and then uh, we must get together. You can't imagine such a thing, can you? There's no love in her heart for him. She wants to be with him night and day. Or in his life, because, oh, that's who he wants and whom he loves. You want him. Do you think in the New Testament they presented Jesus Christ in in a take it or leave it? And they could choose in a pick and mix way the, the flavors of Jesus that they liked and other flavors that they didn't want. If you do that, you become a once a person who one day a week gives one hour to Jesus and puts one pound in the, in the collection. When you get married, you are no longer two people. You, you are one. You live together. You do things together. You discuss together what you're going to do with your money and your weekends and your Sundays and your evenings and... You are heirs together of the grace of of life. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life then, he comes into every part of your life. Every aspect of your life. All, All the important things and all the trivial things. And that's where we are being tested most of all. And Does Jesus affect the little things I think and say and do? My little omissions, are they from now on colored by him, my Lord and my Savior? I delivered unto you, first of all, what I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And to all who received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. You become one of those children. You, you become a child of God. You, you receive this Savior into your life. Now, our Father, we pray for help and mercy. We are unworthy to ask for little things, let alone a great thing like this, that someone is born from above, that a boy or girl here tonight knows that Jesus is the Son of God, and from now on, he or she is going to serve him. But you are able to do that. You can bring life out of death. You can make a crooked branch straight again. And we pray that those of us who are so aware that we are crooked and need straightening and dirty and need cleansing and unbelieving and needing saving trust in thee. Give those graces, please, Lord, to the youngest and the oldest here. Please work in our midst. We beseech thee. It will give glory to your dear Son, whom we confess to be our God and Saviour, and in whose name we pray, Amen.